Welcome. The following message is from the pulpit ministry of the First Baptist Church of Festus Crystal City, Missouri. We welcome you to find out more about our church on our website at www.fbcfcc.org or check us out on our Facebook page at First Baptist Church, Festus Crystal City. It's always a special time in the life of our church as we invite all believers, uh, all those who have experienced salvation to join us as we worship the Lord around what we call the Lord's Supper table. As we observe His Supper, remembering that the word ordinance means a sacred, holy tradition. The Lord's Supper deserves our very best as a church. It's not to just to be a... Uh, empty ritual tacked on to the end of a service. It is the service. It is the service. So this is a sacred time uh, that we get to enjoy a few times a year and um, handed down to us all the way from our Lord Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, giving specific instruction about how we're to handle this moment as we observe the Lord's Supper. That's a time of self-examination. He said, let us examine ourselves. We're to examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith. So for a few moments, we're going to prepare to observe this holy tradition. And so I'm going to speak about that very topic today, self-examination. Before I get started, before I forget, uh, when we unveil the table, you old-timers will recognize that this is the original Lord's Supper table. And I just want to give a shout out to Wayne and Laquita Sweeney. They spent uh, several uh, days, hours, this summer in the heat of July, uh, refinishing this table. It had been sitting out in the storage building for years and had gotten wet and uh, was in bad need of uh, restoration. And he's such a craftsman and just restored it to uh, a brand new condition. So Wayne, thank you, Laquita, for, for doing that for our church. Well, if you're in Matthew 26, I'll begin to read in verse 14. Let's do something different today, uh, since it's so special. Let's all stand in the reading of God's Word. It's a reverent time. If you have your Bibles open, and it reads, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says the time is at hand. I will celebrate the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you sitting right here will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each one of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You have said it. 
Then I want you to notice what the Bible says in Matthew 27, beginning in verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, saying that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and said, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the silver in the temple, departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver and said, it is not lawful for us to put it in the treasury because it's the price of blood. And they consulted together and brought with them the, brought, brought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, and they took 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they were children of God, children of Israel, priced and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. And then one verse in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 18. Now this man, Judas, purchased a field with the wages of his iniquity and fell headlong. He burst open and his entrails gushed out. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come into your house. Father, on a very special day, Lord, as we reflect, as we uh, just uh, upon the significance of what we call the Lord's Supper. Father, that sim symbolizes what you did for us. And God, I pray that our ears are, would be opened of, to what you would have to say to us today, that we may leave here today, God, changed a little bit more in your likeness, that some of us may even leave today saved for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, Judas means praise, and that's what the name Judas means. So evidently, when he was born, his parents gave him that name with high aspirations, as any parents do for their children, that their li his life would be a blessing to God. But his life brought dishonor, and he is known as the betrayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we question, how could this happen? How could a man that followed the Lord Jesus and then in the, then in the end be a rejecter, be a denier, a Christ betrayer? Some teach that you can be saved, but then you can decide not to believe anymore, renounce your faith, and you can become lost again. Some believe that you can sin um, once, twice, ten times, backslide, but if you die in that state, you will be lost again and go to hell. They believe that you can lose your salvation. I do not believe that. Our church does not believe that. I believe there's another explanation of what's going on here with Judas. I believe in once saved, always saved. That when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your heart has changed. That's key. That's a clue you're saved. If your heart hasn't changed, you haven't been saved. Uh, you're a new creation, the Bible says. The direction of your life has changed. And when you stumble, not if you stumble, when you stumble, you fall into the arms of Christ and as soon as and, and as fast as you can, you seek to make up your life to line up with his will. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. There's no half-constructed mansions in glory. Uh, we will not be walking down the uh, 
uh, street of hallelujah and see a half-finished mansion and think, well, that guy almost made it, but he messed up and he lost out and uh, he, uh, he didn't make it to heaven. No, we won't see that. Um, no, sir, I, I believe that a person cannot lose their salvation. The Bible says in Romans 8, all those that God justifies, that that's the first thing of salvation. When you put your faith in Christ, you are safe from the penalty of sin. It specifically says all the Lord that justifies, he glorifies. It's as if it's already done. And being glorified means you're standing with a glorified body in the presence of Jesus in heaven. And, when, <clears throat> and then what Jesus did say in the Gospel of uh, John chapter 10, Jesus said that you're in the hand of God. If you're a believer, you're in the grip of his grace. You're not holding on to him. He's holding on to you. And the Bible says no one, that means no individual, no demon, no devil can pluck you out of the Father's hand. You're saved, you're safe, you're secure. And salvation is free, salvation's full, it's forever. And Jesus gave to each of us who believe eternal life. And when we sing that old gospel hymn that we have sung in this church many years, we don't sing, you must be born again, and again, and again, and again. We sing, you must be born again, because once you're born again, you're in the family of God forever. So how do you explain Judas Iscariot? Frankly, Judas was a man that serves as an example of who, someone who was never saved to begin with. Judas Iscariot is one of those the Apostle John described in 1 John 2.19. He said, they went out from us because they were never of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have never went out from us. And when they went out from us, they were manifesting to us that they were never one of us. He never had Jesus in his heart. He had a profession of faith with his mouth, but no possession of faith in his heart. So I want you to notice a few things as we examine ourselves before we take the supper. Because he was sitting at that table as our Lord was about to institute what we call the Lord's Supper. I want to say first of all something about his reputation. Judas Iscariot had a stellar reputation when it came to religious things and being religious. He was a man who enjoyed enormous religious privileges. You think about this. He heard Jesus Christ preach and teach with his own ears. When Jesus stood up near the Sea of Galilee and preached that Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Judas was there. He heard Jesus preach. Jesus was such a powerful preacher that what someone once said, never a man spoke like this man. When our Lord preached using parables to explain divine truth, in an unforgettable way, he heard those parables. He heard Jesus talk about the prodigal son who was far off from home and the father rejoiced at his return. He heard all that wonderful teaching from the mouth of Jesus. He also heard our Lord pray. And the disciples had picked up on the fact that the secret to the Lord's faithfulness and the Lord's fruitfulness in his humanity and ministry was his prayer life. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to sing or teach us to preach. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. 
You think about that. They had heard the Lord Jesus cry, cry out to heaven, to the heavenly Father, the first person of the divine trinity. And I'm telling you, nobody ever preached or prayed like the Lord Jesus. But he also not only heard the Lord Jesus preach and teach, not only heard him pray, but he was an eyewitness to the miracles of the Lord Jesus. He stood there one day, a vast, among that vast group of people, that 5,000, and a little boy came forward and had a lunch, some loaves and fishes, and he watched Jesus take those loaves in his hand, and he saw Jesus lift them up and bless them, begin to pray, and suddenly, miraculously, the loaves and fishes reproduced. And the Bible says at the end of, of it all, Judas being one of them, uh, the disciples had 12 baskets left over, one for each of them. And he had in his hand the leftovers from that miracle. Jesus, he saw Jesus speak to a man who was blind and heal him. He saw Jesus touch a man who, who was deaf and caused him to hear again. He sees a paralyzed man on the side of the road, and Jesus said, get up and walk. He saw all that. So here's a man who saw what Moses never saw, what King David never heard, and witnessed what Isaiah never got to witness. A man who enjoyed tremendous religious privileges. He was also a man who enjoyed a religious profession of faith. And we see how the Lord called his disciples, how they would publicly step away and immediately step away, that I, that I would follow Jesus. And it was a simple invitation, follow me. One day, John, who would become the apostle John, was sitting in a boat, tending his nets, and Jesus passed by and said, follow me. And he left his boat, his nets, and his father. There, a man sitting. He's collecting taxes. We know him as Matthew. Jesus said, follow me. He left his lucrative career. Jesus says to Simon Peter, follow me. And Peter left his boats. That's how it worked. And one day, Judas Iscariot heard those same words, follow me. And he stepped out, and he gave a verbal assent to the call of Jesus. To follow him. So he had this religious profession of faith, and we need to examine our hearts because, as I said, he never had salvation to begin with. So you can have a profession of faith. You can walk an aisle, you can sign a card, you can pray a prayer, you can join a church, but not have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life because your heart and your soul are empty. So here's a man who enjoyed all these privileges. Here's a man who enjoyed a religious profession of faith. But there's something to say about his religious personality. No one ever suspected Judas would betray the Lord. In the scripture here in Matthew 26, the Lord Jesus looks around the table and he says, One of you, he didn't point Judas out. He says, One of you sitting right here with me right now, you're going to be my betrayer. None of the disciples said, well, I saw this coming. Uh, that beady-eyed Judas. Uh, none of them uh, said, I told you so. 
No, the Bible says that they, as they sat at the table, they self-examined themselves, and they all asked, Lord, is it I? Is it going to be me? They never suspected it was Judas. Let me tell you how much they trusted this man, how much they believed in his profession of faith. It says in the book of John, chapter 12, 5 and 6, that he's the one who took care of the money bag, the treasurer. He's the one that controlled where the money came in and where it went out to. They trusted him with the finances, with their funds, the money that they had to eat off of. So he had a stellar reputation. But I want you, what I want you to see, and I pray the Holy Spirit will open your eyes, that having a reputation, having religious vocabulary, having certain religious experiences, like joining a church, is no substitute for real Holy Spirit conversion. So I've said something about his reputation, then I want to say something about his hypocrisy. We see about it in the passage of John chapter 12, which revealed to us that he kept the money. You remember the story that preceded what happened in uh, chapter 12, 11. One of the Lord's greatest miracles, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And in the 12th chapter, we have this beautiful picture. Martha's in the kitchen cooking afterward. Jesus is sitting at the table with Lazarus, and they're going to eat. And Lazarus was happy. I mean, he had just gotten out of the grave. <clears throat> now he's alive, sitting at the table, getting ready to eat. And what does Mary do? Mary takes a pound of nard, the Bible calls it, a very expensive, valuable perfume, and she breaks it. And that she anoints the feet of Jesus, and she worships there by wiping her hair. Uh, and take with the, wiping the perfume off his feet. And the Bible says the fragrance of the perfume fills the whole room because when we praise the Lord and we lift up our hearts in worship, the fragrance of our praise fills the entire room where we're worshiping. And it goes up as a sweet savor, a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. It was a wonderful, worshipful moment. But suddenly... Judas speaks up in 5 and 6 of chapter 12, and he ruins the moment. He says very piously, shouldn't she, wouldn't it have been better if we had taken that perfume and sold it and taken the proceeds from the sale and given it to the poor? Actually, the Bible records Judas really didn't care about the poor. He said that because he was the keeper of the money bag and he was a thief. He had his hand in the till. He helped himself to the, the, the money of the ministry. He was a phony, a fake, a pretender. He wanted to sell the perfume and get the money in the box so he could get his hands on it. Because no one ever questioned him. No one held him to account. Here's this man who pretended to be this godly man who cared for the poor, but his heart was desperately wicked. His heart was in darkness. His heart was filled with the devil himself. So here's the question. Does Jesus Christ dwell in your heart? What do you dwell on? Do you dwell on evil and wickedness? Do you take joy in it? If you do, Jesus is not in your heart. Because salvation is not a wage that you earn through religious activity. It's a gift that you receive by simple 
faith and trust in Christ. So I said something about his reputation, about his hypocrisy, now about his end. The end of Judas is so sad. He realizes he's made a terrible mistake, a blunder. And the Bible says he goes back to the men who uh, paid him to betray the Lord. And it specifically says in Scripture he was remorseful. He was remorseful. He had tears. That's the word it uses. Repentance and remorse are not the same. Remorse is just feeling terrible about your sin or the consequences of it. It's just feeling bad and having regrets. Real repentance is turning to Christ from your sin. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin and Jesus gave him the opportunity to repent. As they're sitting there, as Jesus is beginning to get ready to explain the significance of the the bread and the cup, he says, one of you is going to betray me. Right then is his opportunity to say, Lord, it's I, but give me the faith to believe. Forgive me. But he refused the opportunity. He turned away from Jesus Christ, and even though he felt bad, there was no repentance And in the end, he died alone. Matthew 27 records he went out and hanged himself. He was so overcome with sin and grief. You know, sin destroys. Sin, you you can love it for a moment, but it eventually, it will bite you like a viper. It will swallow you whole like an anaconda. Sin kills Well, we see on in Acts this gory detail about that his body apparently hung there for so long that the rope broke or his neck broke and plummeted to the ground and his dead body just burst all over the place. That's what the Bible says. Did you ever wonder about how that happened? It shows that he died alone. He went out there by himself. He hung himself. He hung there alone so long. And uh, what a terrible way to die. No one cared enough to even give him a proper burial. But to die without God and to die without Christ. You think of old, the old beggar Lazarus when he died. The angel band that came and took him to heaven. I think about the thief on the cross when he was dying. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now I want you to think about this before we take the the supper. I want you to remember the price that was paid for your soul. Jesus' blood and his blood alone paid our sin debt. Because without Jesus, we're just like Judas. His blood alone paid our our sin debt in full. And only the blood of Jesus satisfies the wrath of God against our sin. He died that we might have life, and his blood washes our souls clean. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's why it says in 1 John 1.7, if we walk in light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of his Son. Jesus cleanses us from all sin. As we think about Judas Iscariot and how our Lord specifically was appealing to him as he instituted the Lord's Supper, I want you to remember this. Listen to me with your heart. 
religious privileges, whether it's prayer, church, church membership, baptism, even the Lord's Supper. Religious privileges are no substitute for a true experience of heart salvation. The second thing I want you to remember is the opportunity to be saved will not always be there. Judas refused God's last invitation to him. That's why if you're going to get saved, do it today. Do it immediately while God is knocking on the door of your heart. Here's the third thing I want you to remember about Judas. Every one of us is going to be known for something. Every time he's mentioned in the gospel, this is what it says. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. You notice that nobody names their children Judas. I want you to be known as someone who received the Lord Jesus and followed and served the Lord with all your heart. Each of us will be known for something. So let's all stand as we prepare to take the supper. We're going to give you a time, an opportunity. This is your opportunity. Let's bow our head and close our eyes with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Everyone is standing, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe this is all new to you. You say, I want to know that if I die, I'm going to heaven. I want to know that Jesus truly is my Lord and Savior. I want to be saved. At the invitation, you come. Would you come now and, and say, I've been saved, but, but I've never followed the Lord in baptism. I need to be baptized. Would you, would you come to Caleb or one of our deacons this morning and say, I've been saved, but I need to follow the Lord. Would you come? Would you, where you're at, if there's anything that the God is convicting you of, would you make it right? Would you repent of your sin? Not just be sorry, but say, Lord, I am done with that. I'm done with that sin. And I turn from that and I turn to you as a believer. I don't want to shame you or embarrass you as a believer. I repent in Jesus' name. You've drifted away. You've been sort of cool when it comes to your faith. But it's time to come back. You don't want to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. It's better to not take it at all. Jesus gave his all for you. Will you not give your all to him in how you live your life? Come now, and we'll only wait shortly. Now's your time to come as our music plays. Thank you for joining us today for another in-depth message into God's word. May God richly bless you, and we invite you to join us in person for worship at 815 or 1045 every Sunday morning. We are located at 107 North Truman Boulevard in Crystal City, Missouri.